Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, Banneker Bones and the Alligator People, and the as of yet still, still yet to be revealed third Banneker adventure. I know what it's called, but I'm not saying, not yet. Um, if you're curious, you can get all of those wonderful uh, books on paperback and ebook. The first book is also available as a wonderful audiobook narrated by the exquisite David Radke. You can get Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Beans, the first in the series, as an ebook free. Free. Whenever you're watching or listening to it, just head to wherever fine ebooks are sold, download your copy. But that's middle grade. And if you're here for a chat with author Annie Sullivan, I know you're curious about young adult. Uh, so let me tell you that also under the super secret pen name, I have written a uh, super secret pen name, Robert Kent. I have written the young adult novel altogether. Now a zombie story. Uh, if you like teens and desperate situations, if you like a, a mean environment that uh, that's not playing around, if you want to if you want to see people in despair, by golly, altogether. Now a zombie story is the story for you. Um, it's essentially a walking dead fan fiction. If I'm if I'm honest. Uh, it's uh, slow-moving zombies, uh, desperate teens, clinging together. Will they make it? Will they not? For sure, uh, you're going to be scared. You're going to encounter a lot of action. So check that out. Also check out All Right Now, a short zombie story. If you say, what's this young adult stuff? Middle grade. I watch and listen to a show called Middle Grade Ninja, but I really prefer adult fiction. Fair enough. I also have The Book of David. That's a five-volume serial horror novel uh, that's extremely adult. Think uh, Stephen King, uh, because I'm basically doing my Stephen King imitation. It's uh, Atheist Buys a Haunted House that then begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. It is out there, and it gets increasingly crazier from chapter to chapter. So if you want to just dip your toe in to check that out, download uh, the ebook for The Book of David, Chapter 1 by Robert Kent for free whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, and then once you've, uh, you're you into it, you're hooked on the series, come see me with some money for chapters 2, 3, 4, and 5. Uh, you're going to have a good time. Uh, coming up on the Middle Grade Ninja podcast, uh, on days yet to be revealed, uh, we're going to have authors uh, John Claude Bemis, Greg Millman, uh, we're going to have literary agent Carrie uh, Pistrito, and we're going to have author Alicia Day Williams. So nothing but great stuff headed your way. Uh, and plenty more authors and publishing professionals beyond that who are scheduled. If you want to keep up with the show, you want to keep up with who's coming on, what's going on, head to middlegradeninja.com. Uh, and that's it. I'm all out of plugs. Let's welcome our guest, Annie Sullivan. How are you, Annie? I'm doing really well. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for having me. I am thrilled to finally uh, talk with you. We met once before in real life, but we've never sat down for a nice conversation about writing. So this can be fun. <laughs> yes, I'm really looking forward to it. So probably the best place to start is if you wouldn't mind giving esteemed audience kind of an overview of your career in publishing thus far. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm Annie Sullivan. I'm the author of two young adult books. One is called A Touch of Gold, and I'm holding it up right now in case anyone's watching they can see the beautiful cover um and that one was just published last year in 2018 in august so it's just about a year old just had its one year birthday and that one is about the cursed daughter of king midas who has to set out to retrieve her father's gold when it gets stolen 
And then I have a new book coming out, Tiger Queen, technically comes out September 10th, which is really, really soon if you're listening to this right when this podcast releases. So super excited. Tiger Queen um, is about a desert princess who has to fight in an arena against suitors to win her right to rule. It's a retelling of a short story. It's a whole lot of fun. Um, I've been trying to get published for, I don't know, I'd say probably maybe eight years when I finally got published. So it's been a a long, hard journey, but glad that it's it's kind of come to fruition and that I've got books out there and that now I'm talking to all of you. So, um, and congratulations, that, that's, that's huge. Uh, one year later, here's book two, and I know that there's <laughs> a third book on the way at some point, right? Yes, third book. I think it's tentatively scheduled for October of 2020, so it's a book a year. It's It's a hard schedule, but I'm making it work. You are never going to sleep again, but thank God, you're going to get great books. <laughs> I'm sorry for anyone who's watching this. Like, you can probably see the bags under my eyes because I don't sleep a lot as it is because I go to work and I come home and I write. And yeah, so sleeping is kind of optional. <laughs> so eight years. What, uh, what, how many, if you don't mind me asking, um, how many books did you write prior to Touch of Gold? Well, it's kind of an odd story in that Touch of Gold was actually the first book I ever wrote. Um, I wrote it while I was at Butler getting a master's degree in creative writing, and it was my master's thesis. It, um, But in an odd turn of events, I sent it out to try and get an agent, and it did not get me an agent. Um, it was my, I believe, second or third, I think my third book um, that got me my agent. And then that book didn't sell on submission to publishers, so then my agent, who had actually rejected a touch of gold back when I sent it to her like two years prior, was like, what else do you have? And I was like, well, I have this book that you actually rejected. Do you want to see it? And she was like, all right, let's look at it. So I completely revised it. I took it from like third person past tense to first person present tense. I completely revamped the plot, um, just kind of kept some of the general details and we really re reworked it. And yeah, we sent it out and ended up getting a book deal. So I had written about three books by the time I finally got a book deal. Um, one of those books was in fact Tiger Queen that I had written in the meantime, but Tiger Queen was not the book that didn't sell. So it's like, it's so complicated. It's like you have all these manuscripts lined up and sometimes it's the right time for one and sometimes it's not. And sometimes, you know, the agent likes it and then sometimes they reject it and then they like it a year later. So it's, publishing is such a crazy business and so if you're out there trying to get published like just stay with it um it's hard but you can do it it can happen it just it takes the right timing and the right book and do you if you don't mind uh, saying let's plug your agent who who is your literary agent Yes, my my agent is Krista Heschke with McIntosh and Otis, and I love her. She always goes to bat for me. Um, she always asks the hard questions that I'm too timid to ask. So really love working with her. She's great with, you know, character. I'm, I love plot. Plot is like my thing, but she's really strong with character and making sure the characters are really strong. So we work really, really well together. So what uh, what kind of character revisions does she typically give you then? <laughs> she's always like uh let's look at their motivation and let's look at the decision that they make here and let's really think about this arc and how it you know kind of pans out and all that good stuff so she's really thorough really great at looking from start to finish you know what's happening how is this character developing um which is good because i am always just like let's just have fun and see where they go and she's like let's let's have them grow too and i'm like all right they can grow i guess <laughs> <laughs> if they have to. <laughs> if they have to, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so um, 
one one type of story that esteemed audience never gets tired of is how did you meet your agent? How did you secure this fantastic representation that's landed you a book a year deal now? Yeah. So like I said, I actually did um, query her with a touch of gold and she rejected it. And then about a year, like a couple months, it was only a couple months because I had almost three books ready to go um, when I kind of started querying agents because I write pretty quickly. Um, she actually was having a contest on her blog um, that I found out about Twitter. So if you're not on Twitter, get on Twitter because so many of the agents are on Twitter. So I definitely recommend that. Um, but she was having this blog contest where you just entered like your first 250 words um, and she was randomly going to select a winner. But she had gone through and read all the entries. And so even though I didn't win, I'm doing air quotes here, didn't win. Um, she liked mine enough to ask me, you know, what I'd like to see more. She asked me for more. And I was like, oh, of course. So and I think we might get to this later. But um, oddly enough, I was on my way to Antarctica when this happened. So it's, um, she asked me for, for like 25 pages. So I sent those 25 pages. And then I told my sister, I had left my sister with like a manifesto of like its own book of instructions on like, here's what to do. I need you to check my email address while I'm in Antarctica, because I'm not going to have the internet for like two or three weeks. And if an agent comes calling, I need you to like know what to do. So my poor sister had to like pretend to be me. And I've told my agent that she knows. Um, because my agent came back after the 20, 12, after those 25 pages and she said, oh, I love this. I want the next, you know, I want all of it. And so my sister sent her all of it pretending to be me. And then my agent came back and was like, hey, I'd love to have a call with you. Um, and my sister had to kind of come clean and be like, hey, I'm Annie's sister. I'm monitoring her account. She'll be back soon. She's in Antarctica. And so that's kind of how that happened. So I got to, I got back from Antarctica, I got to Argentina, like the southernmost city in the world. Um, I checked my email on this like shady, shady email connection um, and found out that I had an offer of representation. And like my parents were like, they were with me on this trip and they were like hanging out somewhere else in the airport. And I turned to this like random guy next to me. And I'm like, I have an agent. There's an agent who wants me. Like, he's like, <laughs> okay, weird girl. Like good for you. <laughs> like it was, it was really weird, but anyway, so that's how I found my agent was from a blog contest, oddly enough. And who, what, what was the blog that held the contest? Uh, I think it was just her own blog. She had just mentioned it on Twitter. She's like, Hey guys, um, send me your first 250 words and I'll randomly pick a winner who maybe won like a query critique or something like that. Um, so definitely check out agents blogs because they, you know, they tell you so often, here's what I want. Here's what I'm looking for. All that kind of good stuff. So eight years. And when the miracle finally happens, <laughs> I know, I know it was, it was, it was a long journey. And I mean, I think that eight years does include after having the agent, you know, that revising time and the first book not selling and then revising the next book and trying to get that one to sell. Cause it is, it's such a long process. I mean, it can take months to hear back from editors sometimes. Um, and so then you're hearing back and it's a no, and then you send out to more editors and you wait another couple months and it's a no. And so, yeah, those years, those years just add up really quickly. <laughs> well, I want to, definitely want to talk to you more about your experience in with uh, Butler and your experience uh, in publishing because you're working in publishing as well. But we have to ask you more about Antarctica and your your adventurous spirit. What what took you to Antarctica? I love travel. I think as a writer, I want to see as much of the world as I can. Um, just to inspire, you know, my mind and landscapes and different things like that. I just really want to see 
you know, as much of the world as I can. And my parents have always been big travelers. So it's just kind of something that's been ingrained to me since I was little that like you should travel every chance you get, you should see something new, see somewhere new, meet someone new. Um, and so that's what I love. I love to just go to new places. So then it kind of became my goal to hit every continent before I turned 30. And I think I was 30 or like when I hit them all, I can't remember. Maybe it was, I don't know, who even knows, but I did it eventually. So I did hit every continent, um, which was a huge goal for me. And it was just, you know, it's just, and oddly enough, being in Antarctica is kind of, I was, I, when I was down there, I wrote most of Tiger Queen. And so even though Tiger Queen is set in a desert um, that has no water, uh, it's oddly enough based a lot on Antarctica, which is one of the world's largest deserts because it's so dry, it's considered a desert. Um, and all I did was replace the stinging cold, with the burning heat of like, you know, you just can't get away from it. And then the the snow that kind of hits you becomes the sand that kind of burns into your skin um, because it kind of oddly feels the same when you're down there. So that makes a lot of sense. Uh, right? Like you wouldn't think you wrote a desert book when they were in Antarctica, but I did and it worked really well. So between the actual environment and, and the temperature there and the temperature in your head, you were probably right about the, the correct temperature. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> and then uh, I read this in your bio and I have to ask this. You went uh, diving with great white sharks in a cage, right? I did. I went cage diving off the coast of South Africa. Um, I use the company that they often film with um, for Shark Week. And they even found one of their decoys they left behind. So we toyed a seal decoy behind the boat before we put the cage out and got to see a small predation where it like jumps out of the water a little bit. So it wasn't quite air draws quality. And you know what air draws is if you watch Shark Week, which I love. Um, but no, it was super cool. I swallowed a lot of chum, which was not great. And the water was really murky. I thought I was going to get eaten at one point, but it was fine. It all worked out. I didn't get eaten. And I got to see some sharks. Well, I mean, if you were eating chum, wouldn't that make you more delicious? <laughs> right? Right? <laughs> I know. I'm already looking pretty good. I look like a seal when you get me in a wetsuit. So, I mean, I'm pretty short. So, I'm like, I'm seal. Chum. Get some chum in your mouth. My God. That's <laughs> what shark could resist. It's like a... <laughs> Turkey stuff with good stuffing. I'm just stuffed with chum. Okay, wow. I'm sure your readers are like, your listeners are like, what is going on here? What's going on is great podcasting. This is great. <laughs> <laughs> so, have you not seen Jaws or 47 Meters Down or any of those movies that explicitly the point is don't swim with sharks? You know, I have. I actually love those kind of movies. I love the really bad sci fi movies that are like the B movies. Um, that they just play on sci-fi on the weekends that are like piranhas 3d like they're great okay I mean they're not great but I love them um so yeah I don't it's know the I just... Terry O'Connell one is that right the piranha 3d I think so um that's a yes, favorite no, of mine so many it's like shark to puss oh I just watched one I think it was called like the six-headed shark where like the shark actually like uses its other heads to walk on land it was insane but anyway I digress I love bad shark movies. I love sharks. They're fascinating. I don't want to be in the water with them without a cage. I have. Not great whites, but other little sharks I have. Um, I've gone scuba diving with them and snorkeling and stuff. Um, but yeah, they're just fascinating creatures. So I really like them. I think we could be best friends. I love shark movies. <laughs> have, you seen, have you seen Bait 3D? 
No, I haven't. You, I think you had mentioned that one, and I have not seen that one. So, movie I'm night. Evangelist for this movie, I feel everyone should see it at least once before they die. Uh, it's been it's been bumped down on my place of of happiness <laughs> by Crawl because Crawl is a little bit of a better execution of that premise. Um, but uh, in Bait, there's a, a tsunami that comes in and uh, brings uh, sharks into a mall and into a grocery store. Uh, so they're, they're swimming around, and, and the people are up on the aisles avoiding the sharks. And at one point, somebody has to get grocery carts and make a shark cage to, to safely navigate. Can I watch this? Because I need this in my life. Um, you definitely. You want to see it in 3D. I mean, 2D. Okay. It's not the same. <laughs> no. Okay, okay. I'm but it's uh, widely available. It's an Australian film. It's like four or five years old now. I think it might be older now. Time goes by. So movie. <laughs> we're gonna talk about fiction. We're gonna talk about Tiger Queen. I promise. But what does what is that experience of being in the cage with the great white? And what do you get from that that you can't get from watching Shark Week? You just can't get the majesty of them. You know, like, and they're just. In the films, they're made out to be so dangerous. And honestly, in the in the cage, they could have cared less that we were there. They're just swimming by. They're just like, hey, what's up, you know? Um, and so I really love that aspect of them, that you really, you get that different side of them. Um, granted, it did feel a little, little creepy, a little murky in that cage, because when they put you in the water, um, at least for me, the cage was kind of like, hanging down a little lower than I would have liked as they waited for two other people to get in the cage. And I was just like, um, there's a lot of room for me to get bitten right now. Um, like half my body is just like kind of floating here. And again, dressed in a wetsuit because it's really cold. I look like a seal. So yes. So that was a little creepy. And again, I was swallowing a lot of chum because at that point I was not scuba certified. And so what they have you do is you kind of hold on to the top of the cage um, and then when they yell shark, you kind of hold your breath and you go down and you look through a little like viewing pane. Um, you have goggles on and all that kind of stuff. Um, but the waves are hitting you as you're kind of waiting there for the shark to come by. And that's when you swallow all the chum is when you're just sitting there in the waves. So, yes. Lady Sullivan, you have convinced me not to die with the shark. That sounds like an incredible experience. So if you stay on the boat, you can see them pretty well, too, actually. Um, but there's just something about being in the water with them and just being like, look at this amazing creature. So... So you should, you should do it. A very adventurous spirit. I like to have adventures that I sit down and I, I write in my safe little book area here. <laughs> It's funny because I, I have I have a lot of siblings. I'm one of four kids, and if you ask my like my family who's the most adventurous, I would probably be last on that list. So it's kind of funny when I hear people be like, "You're so adventurous," and like I look at these things, and I'm like, "Yeah, I did do that," but like in my mind, I'm the least adventurous of my siblings. So it's kind of crazy that way. So is shark diving the most adventurous thing you've done, or is there something crazier still? No, that's probably it. I almost fell off a cliff at Machu Picchu, but that was my own fault. And then I thought I was getting kidnapped in China on the Great Wall, but that was fine. Yeah, I've had a lot of... Oh, oh, well, one crazy thing is, because, um, again, I've traveled a lot. I went to Egypt with my parents, and a man tried to buy me for a whole bunch of camels. And my dad, being the dad that he is, he was like, how many camels are we talking here? And I was like... <laughs> No, do not encourage him. Do not encourage him. 
And my dad was like, man, if only I knew how to get those camels back to the U.S. And I was like, oh, dad, like, come on. So I've had some interesting things happen. Um, But yeah, maybe between the camels and the sharks, they'll get you every time. That is the dad joke you have to make, though, in that situation. (laughs) You're morally obligated. You can't let that one pass. Well, he definitely played it well, so he he got it. And um, oh, I had a follow. Oh, I wanted to ask you when you were in Machu Picchu, when you were in Egypt, did you have the sense that the Giorgio Sukulos is right that ancient aliens has been steering us clear that uh, those things were clearly crafted by aliens, or do they look pretty well man-made to you? I mean, pretty man-made, but hey, who knows? It's not like we know for sure, right? <laughs> That's true. And since we're here, admittedly, because I I, I directed us here, uh, Annie Sullivan, have you ever seen a flying saucer and do you believe in them? Maybe. Maybe I've seen one. I don't know. There was one time that I was standing outside my friend's house late at night. She and I were both there and it was actually across the street from my sister's house. Um, And we saw these little, I mean, I think they ended up being lanterns, like Chinese lanterns that someone must have lit for a wedding or an event or something, and they let them go across the sky. But, I mean, you see one or two of those, and you're just like, what is that thing? And they were moving really fast. So I was just like, I don't know. Were they lanterns? Were they not? We never found out. So were they flying erratically or pretty straightforward but speedily? I mean, it's been a while. It's been several years now. I can't remember if one of them like hovered there for a while and then continued or if they just floated. I tried to get pictures because I was just like, what is this? I mean, we even called my sister over from her house because we're like, you need to see this. And even they for a little while were like, what is that? Because like, I think it didn't move for a while. And then it just started going again. So who knows? Mystery continues. <laughs> they were probably space sharks. that's how they they earth dive they come down to earth and like check us out like look at those little humans they're so cute and then they go back to space (laughs) (laughs) who was i i want to some some comedian said that we are the uh we're the place to go for alien frat boys when they get drunk like instead of cow tipping, just head down to earth and go laugh at the humans for a bit and then head off back to <laughs> more exciting. I, I the story about alien abductions that's kind of similar to that because I'm like, yes, this is where they would come because we're such an easy target. Like we can't stop them. That's why there are so many alien abductions. Um, but yes, yep. That's kind of, I think, how it is. There's a really great, I love The Twilight Zone, the TV show from like the, what, 50s, 60s, I'm probably getting the error wrong um but there is a really really great twilight zone it's called people are alike all over um i'm gonna give a spoiler alert so if you don't want to know what it is look or don't listen for like 20 seconds but it's a great episode where a man crash lands on a different planet and um at first he's like terrified he hears these noises outside his spaceship and he's like what is that you know i don't know what's going on but then eventually he's running out of air so he has to open the door he opens the door and it's it's people and he's like i have crash landed on another earth like this is great and the people help him and they take him to this house and they're like we we have this house for you does it feel comfortable we want you to feel comfortable here while we help you repair your ship and he's like oh yes this house is great he's exploring it looks lovely and they're like all right we'll leave you here to rest and they all leave 
and he starts to realize that some of the doors aren't real and that they've locked him in and he opens the big curtains that are you know kind of hiding him and it turns out that there are bars across the windows and he looks down and there's a little sign that says earth man in natural habitat and he's in an alien zoo and it's just like the craziest thing ever and i'm just like oh i love it i love it like you think they're gonna help him but they put him in a zoo so wow in all fairness when we put the animals in zoos we we tend to think we're helping them look you can just right. chill there's all the food you need yeah well, right like, it looks like you're your friends are going outside you don't need to worry about that we got this yeah yes <laughs> <laughs> so you should all that episode <laughs> Slaughterhouse Five is the one where uh, the the fellow believes he's uh, been abducted by aliens, and then they've they they found a woman for him, and they're like, oh, just do what you do, don't mind us. Ah, it's Kurt Vonnegut. In fact, we're we're Indiana authors, so I'm obligated yeah. to ask, what's your favorite Kurt Vonnegut novel? I have to. Okay, you're gonna think I'm a terrible Indiana author. I don't think I've ever read them. I'm ashamed. I'm sitting here in shame. <laughs> I honestly tend to be just so much YA fantasy that unless it's in that genre, I'm just like, I don't even have time. Don't even have time. Well, it was lovely chatting with Annie Sullivan, everyone. Hi, y'all, and what have you. Start with uh, God bless you, Mr. Rosewater. It's my favorite. Okay. Uh, plus, next year when we're at the Rosies. Uh, you'll be like, oh, I've read this book that this conference is based on. We're we're set. Okay, good. That's the one I need to read then when I get some time and yeah. sleep. <laughs> Whenever that comes along. Right. I was on the fence about Vonnegut for a while, but, you know, he's painted on the side of a building right here in our, our uh, illustrious uh, city. Uh, and anytime I go to a writing event, somebody somewhere brings up Vonnegut in some way. So I find that I sat down with the help of uh, the Kurt Vonnegut guys. Uh, who this is a podcast you can listen to because that's what I like to do on this podcast is to remind you that you could in fact right now this moment be listening to other better podcasts um, at the Kurt Vonnegut guys uh, and they go through every one of the of Kurt Vonnegut's novels in order uh, so I read along with them but even like they're 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 in-depth discussions of each novels so like if you just want to fake it till you make it you could listen to that show and have enough knowledge about the uh, uh, life of Kurt Vonnegut that next Indiana event you're going to be set that's good to know I'm like over here like taking notes like okay I got this I got this <laughs> <laughs> Kurt Vonnegut guys you can't you can't miss him uh, and then I wanted to ask you about Butler uh, because, you know, I like to promote the, the local universities. So what has getting a master's degree, master's in creative writing, what has that brought to your writing that just a degree or a high school education wouldn't have brought? He asked facetiously. Yeah, no, I think it is. It was an amazing experience. I loved being at Butler. They are one of the few schools in the area who were really open to me writing um, genre fiction. Um there are some people out there who kind of, you know, don't don't appreciate or don't enjoy or don't want to work on genre fiction. And Butler was was very supportive of that. They welcomed me. They had classes on young adult writing. Um, and if nothing else, like, I mean, I learned so much there. You learn from critiquing others. You learn from, you know, reading your own stuff and looking at it critically and getting critiques. Um, but just having that time 
you know, sitting down and writing. And that's that's where I wrote A Touch of Gold was in that program. Um, and I'll, I'll kind of tell you a funny story of something that happened there just to kind of show you how much I really uh, appreciate them is. So, like I said, there are a lot of places that don't appreciate young adult. They don't appreciate fantasy, sci-fi, that kind of stuff. So they don't think it's literary fiction. Um, and there are a lot of programs that only do literary fiction. So I thought, okay, coming to this program, like they're going to ostracize me if I don't do literary fiction. So for my very first story that I turned in for a critique workshop, I was like, I must be super literary or they're going to hate me. Um, and so I turned in this awful, awful short story about like a man who's, who kills, he accidentally kills his wife in a car wreck because he's too proud to wear his glasses, um, his new glasses. And so it's a really like just sad, awful story. And I hate sad, awful stories. Um, but I was like, oh, it's so literary. They're, they're, gonna, they're just going to love this. I turn it in and my classmates hated it. They just hated it. And I went out to my car afterwards and cried because they tore that thing to shreds. But then as I was sitting there crying, I realized like, you know what? That wasn't me. That's not what I want to write. That was me trying to be what I thought they wanted me to be. So I was like, all right, if I'm going to go back in there, which I thought about quitting right then and there, because I was like, maybe this is not for me. I was like, if I'm going to go back in there, I'm going in as me. And if that doesn't go well, we'll see what happens. So for my very second critique workshop, I turned in the first chapter of what would become A Touch of Gold. And they loved it. Not because they particularly loved fairy tales or fantasy, but because they could tell the writing was there and that's what I was good at. And so they encouraged me um, and they guided me. And so I really am very appreciative of everything that Butler did and taught me and for the time it gave me to write and made me write because, you know, you have to turn things in on deadlines. Um, so just that experience was really amazing. Every writer's got that... Uh terrible workshop story that you just had to do <laughs> one i had right. the literary i always i just want to say it's literature i am an author that's how I, I i think when i when i read these push cart prize winning stories that are really great for like the 50 subscribers to push cart push cart prize you're welcome to come on the show anytime i'd love to chat with you yeah. um, but uh <laughs> I wrote one about a, God, a dying hooker uh, that I called damsel in distress, which I thought was, it was just a, it, it, it was, it was just a piece of garbage. And I'm, I'm talking to the professor afterward and he's like, you know, we get at least two dying hooker stories a year. Right. I'm like, oh, well, that one's mine. <laughs> You're like, I'm one of those two. <laughs> <laughs> so cross that off my list of things to do next oh, up. Yeah. Then I, uh, the next thing I wrote was, uh, was a horror story. I'm like, oh, that's, that's, that's much more me. I don't need to worry about being important and literary allusions and, you know, writing for the ages and all of that stuff. Yes. I don't want to read that stuff. So why would I want to? Exactly. <laughs> I do. You, have to you want to read and what speaks to you because it's, it's going to feel forced and awful if it's not what you want to write. So, Yeah. Definitely, definitely find your voice, people. Find what you want to write. And while we're talking about Indiana, I would absolutely be remiss if I didn't ask you about your experience working with the Indiana Writers Center. Oh, yeah, I love them. I had a great, I've been a teacher there um, a couple times, and um, just the students there, the quality of students is amazing. 
Um, I love working with them. I love teaching there. I love how open everyone is to learning. Um, I've taught a class on book publicity. Um, and then I was going to teach one on like fairy tales, I think. Um, I need to schedule another class with them actually at some point when I, when I get some time. That's my whole life right now. It's like, I'll do that when I get some time. So the busy, busy life of a writer, which you think would be like nice and quiet and you could be like a recluse, like living in your house, but no. So many other things you have to do. So, but no, I do love the Indiana Writers Center and I uh, can't wait to do more with them. If it had, if it was an option for you to be a recluse in your house, Miss, I've been to all seven continents and I'm diving with sharks. Is that really something that would appeal to you? <laughs> yes, right now it totally would because I'm just so tired all the time that I'm just like, I could do it. I could just, I mean, if I had like, you know, food delivery service, I'd be good for a while, a good long while. Or maybe I'd transfer to like a recluse on the beach every six months. I'd like alternate <laughs> so I could still get a little, little travel time in there. That'd be perfect. <laughs> I would be a my recluse. Is that is that possible? <laughs> I I mean, if there was one way to be a writer and it worked out perfectly, I would have identified it by now because I've talked to enough writers that I'm listening for those similar things. And as soon as I hear like three people tell me that we all do this and we are immediately successful every time, I'm like. <laughs> I'm done. I'm doing that from now on. Yeah. <laughs> so far, yeah. I haven't identified it. Oh, well, you let me know. If you find out a way to be like a semi-recluse, I'm in. I think, I think, I think stay-at-home dad <laughs> is the <laughs> way to do it. That's why I'm so excited about my five-year-old uh, going to school full-time now as I'm able to get out and about and do more uh, author events and things. I'm like, oh, I'm out of the house. And I haven't listened to Elmo like all day. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> so here's a tease that I'll, I'll put in there for esteemed audience because knowing that you have taught a class on book publicity we're definitely going to talk about book publicity before we're done but that's uh, going to be the tease that's going to be the stay with us esteemed audience i promise we'll get back to it for now let's talk about tiger queen my god we've teased it let's get to it yes. um, i am terrible about summarizing other people's Book buddies, <laughs> for yep, those of you listening, we're, we're making our Tiger Queen's kiss. It's, uh, it's horrible. <laughs> um, so I'm bad about uh, summarizing other people's biographies and other people's books. Because when I get to the end of it, they said, that, that's not what my book was about. You didn't understand it at all. Uh, so you're the author. Go ahead and give the give the pitch to esteemed audience. What's what's the elevator pitch? What should what do they need to know about Tiger Queen? So Tiger Queen follows a warrior princess as she fights suitors in an arena to win her right to rule. Um, but she's also living in a kingdom that's running out of water, so she has to deal with water thieves, um, um, who she's actually more worried about than the arena. Until her last opponent is announced as the one man she's never been able to beat in a fight. So then she has to scramble to figure out how she's going to win her throne. Um, and it might just mean teaming up with the people she never thought she'd sided. She never thought she'd side with. So it's a really fun story. It's based off of the short story, The Lady or the Tiger by Frank Richard Stockton, which has an infamous cliffhanger ending. But don't worry, spoiler alert, I give it the ending it always should have had. So if you've read that short story, you will know <laughs> the that. The statement. Woo! Oh, yes. Don't worry. I have been dreaming about this book. I know you're probably going to ask me, like, well, how did you come up with this idea? I read that short story, The Lady of the Tiger, in, like, seventh or eighth grade, somewhere around there. Um, and uh, spoiler alert, actually, um, one of the people that I uh, dedicated the book to was my 
English teacher who made me read the read the story because she had that big. I mean, the, the book wouldn't exist without her. Um, but she made me read that story. And being the like good student that I was who sat in the front row and, you know, tried to get straight A's. Um, she asked us at the end because there's a choice that the the princess has to make behind two doors. One is a tiger and the other is a beautiful lady that she has to send her lover off to either get eaten or live with her biggest rival. Um, and so she has to make this choice and the story ends before you ever figure out which one she made. And so when my English teacher asks us, you know, which, which story did, which or which, you know, door did she pick? Of course I raised my hand and I was like, Oh, well teacher, it could have been either one. And she was like, yeah, that's what the story said. I want to know what you think. And so all these years later, I have finally vindicated myself and I have told her what I think. And I give you the answer of what really happened um, to this daughter of a barbaric king who puts her lover into an arena to face, quote, desert justice. So this is, uh, let's see, this is who the book is partially dedicated to, right? Mrs. DeSaltes? Yeah, yeah, she was. Has she, she received her copy yet? She is not. It's a surprise. She. And her family and myself are conspiring to keep her from knowing until the launch party, um, which is coming up in about a week. I'm having a huge launch party at Barnes and Noble, and um, I'm going to surprise her there and give her flowers and just honor her and thank her so much for being such a big part of of my life and of this book. So, what day and uh, what's the location for the launch party? Yeah, so the launch party is at the Barnes & Noble. It's open to the public. <laughs> it is, it is, yes. Everyone, bring your friends. There is going to be a tiger-shaped cake that feeds like 200 people. So please come and eat cake. It's at the Barnes & Noble River Crossing in Keystone in, in, in Indianapolis, um, 6 o'clock p.m. on uh, Saturday, September 14th. So 6 p.m., come, bring your friends, bring your family, bring strangers off the street, come and have cake and win prizes. There's going to be hundreds of dollars of prizes and giveaways. So everyone should come and, and have fun and have cake. And, of course, they can get their copy of Tiger Queen signed, yeah. I assume get a signed copy of Tiger Queen and ask me any questions that we don't answer on this podcast. Well, impossible. I'm going to think of them all. And we're, <laughs> we're going to take care. <laughs> but if there's anything left, uh, come and, and ask more, I, I guess, shark questions. Because <laughs> yeah. we're going to cover Tiger Queen. Don't get me started on sharks again, because I can name so many, like, cookie cutter sharks. Did you know there's a cookie cutter shark that, like, comes up from the deep and takes tiny little cookie cutter bites out of, like, other animals, and, like, it leaves a cookie cutter shape? Anyway, <clears throat> Tiger Queen. <laughs> <laughs> so what, uh, <laughs> what, um, oh, gosh, what, 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 what? What influenced you as you were writing this book? Because first thing that came to my mind, of course, would be the obvious of Dune. And I also thought there was maybe a little bit of Hunger Games uh, in there. Just just a little bit in, in terms of overall tone. Because this, this is a mean book. I was uh, telling you before we got started. That's that's what I love about it. Uh, it's just how mean and nasty it is. The, the environment they're in is harsh. Uh, there are things called assassin wasps. You don't get those in a nice place. <laughs> it's not a concern. The grieving spiders, which are so named because if you get bitten by one, everyone around you will be grieving because you're about to die. Um, it is a very harsh desert environment. And that's kind of what I love about it is that, you know, despite these horrible creatures that live there, these people still survive and for a long time they thrived there until they started to run out of water um and so i think that is just such a cool aspect of it and so honestly one of the 
biggest kind of uh, vibes it has is a Robin Hood vibe um, because people are stealing water to give to other people. Um, and so there is that kind of Robin Hood feel to it. There's a little bit of, so it's kind of like Hunger Games mixed with Robin Hood. Um, and so I really do love that aspect of it because um, I've always, I loved Robin Hood growing up. Um, and so this is kind of my, a little bit of my ode, ode to Robin. And are you uh, of the opinion that Kevin Costner is Robin Hood and I will fight you if you say otherwise, or have you got a different Robin Hood that you, you imagine? <laughs> pretty much love any Robin Hood. I mean, I love them all. So I'm just waiting for Disney to make a live action remake without a fox. I want like a real person. Ooh, I wouldn't watch that. Now, if you're going to do live action, I want a fox. <laughs> <laughs> or a shark. A fox can be forgiven if you replace him with a shark. That'd be fun. Sharkhood. We need to start a, a petition for Sharkhood. <laughs> We'll we'll set up a GoFundMe as soon as this podcast is over. <laughs> we'll <get it> <laughs> um, and now I've forgotten what I was going to ask you because I now all I've got is that that stupid Brian Adams song stuck in my head because I'm remembering my misspent youth. Aha, Robin Hood, you were so wonderful. Um, I do I thought ask you, because of Shark Hood in your in your head, but you know. <laughs> Shark Hood, but with Brian Adams. <laughs> the best of everything. Yeah. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you uh, about doing a reimagining uh, type of tale. And then I'm going to get back to how mean the environment is. But because you've done this now twice with the somewhat Midas ish retelling uh, in Touch of Gold and now the Lady of the Tiger um, uh, with Tiger Queen. Uh, so what is it about using classic works as an underpinning that appeals to you? I mean, I just love looking at forgotten characters. I think, you know, like I mentioned earlier, I'm one of four siblings, so I'm a middle child. And I like to say that I suffer from forgotten middle child syndrome. But it's even worse than like a normal middle child because there are four of us and I have to share being a middle child with another middle child. So I get even less attention than other middle children, clearly. Um, yeah, <laughs> such a hard life I live. Um, well, maybe that's what part of why your dad was thinking about those camels, because he's got three uppers, right? He's like, I got <laughs> have four. Any camels. four. Yeah, I'll just take some camels. Um, no, I think it's that whole, like, I love looking at people who are forgotten. So, I mean, in the King Midas myth, you know, it's all about him. It's about his power. And his daughter is just a means to an end. She's the reason that he realizes like when he turns her to gold, he's like, Oh man, well that was a terrible idea. Um, and so she's just there as like his lesson to be learned. And I really wanted to give her her own story. I mean, if you're turned to gold as a child by your father, that's gotta leave some lasting side effects. Um, so I really want to explore that. Like, what does it do to you? And, you know, give her her own adventure to go out on. Um, and so I think that's kind of what appeals to me is like looking at this story from a different angle. Like, what can I show you that you thought you knew, but you don't? Um, so, I mean, in The Lady, the, the Lady or the Tiger, it's, like I told you, it's a short story, but it's, it's less than four pages. It's only a couple of pages long and it's very repetitive um, in those pages. So it's like there was a barbaric king. He was barbaric and he lived in a barbaric kingdom. Um, and so I really wanted to take that and expand it out into something new, into something you hadn't seen. Because, again, you get this this princess who has to make this decision and 
it's it's almost not even about her in a lot of ways. It's almost more, again, about this barbaric king um, who puts her into this situation. And I was like, no, she's she's got to be hardcore if she lives in this environment. So I really wanted to explore her story and write about a, you know, hardcore female protagonist who can kind of take down the patriarchy in her own way um, while learning who she is while still being strong. Um, so I think that's what I really love is that you can take these stories and make them new. You know, you're not you're not taking the fairy tales and saying, oh, yeah, they have to be the same. Like, I don't I want to write fairy tales where like if you've got, you know, um, Little Red Riding Hood, you're not saying, oh, you can't go into the forest. You're saying here, here's a sword. Go into the forest and kill that wolf yourself, you know, to give girls kind of that other lesson of like, it's OK to step off the path. And here's the tools to do it. You know, you don't have to stay on the straight and narrow. Um, you can be the hero in this story. So I think that's what I really love most about retellings is you can take the characters that we know and love and give them a whole new personality and more strength. Makes sense to me. And I'm being a little bit facetious when I ask that, because, of course, I uh, repurposed uh, Hemingway's story for all right now, a short zombie story. Uh, I, I've been there and I'm uh, teaching at the Indiana Writers Center. Uh, my students are always crushed when I point out that um, officially there are only seven basic plots. So <laughs> get ready. Uh, learn your musical scales. Now, within that, you can play any number of wonderful songs, but get these yeah. basics down. Yep. Yep. There are only so many you can do. And so almost every story is a retelling in its own way. So I just make it more obvious. And um, so is the third book that's coming, is that going to be a retelling of some kind as well? So the third book is actually a sequel to A Touch of Gold. It's going to be called A Curse of Gold. Um, we haven't revealed the cover for that one yet, but i um, super excited about that one because it deals with a lot more Greek mythology since a t um, since the King Midas myth is a, a Greek myth. Um, so it's going to have so much adventure, so much heart-pounding action. Just I can't wait. can't wait for people to see what's in store. And I have a character who is kind of my version of Captain Jack Sparrow. So really, really excited about that character. Very fun. So look forward yeah. to that. that one's going to be released in 2020. Do we have an approximate month, maybe? I think October is what I've heard, but it keeps changing. So for now, we'll go with October. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a plan. Uh, and then getting back here to Tiger Queen, the one we can talk about, uh, um, because it's it's a, available. Odds are pretty good. If Unless you're listening to this the moment it drops, esteemed audience, you could go get your copy right now to the library, yeah. to Amazon, to your local independent bookseller. Get to it. Um, so let's go back to this idea of the barbarian uh, king and a woman uh, who has to be a warrior. Is it, is it Princess Kateri? Am I saying that right? Mm -hmm. yep. I have been calling her Princess Katari. Uh, and I knew it was a little bit wrong, but I wanted it to sound like Atari, which is the problem with readers. Uh, is because no matter how much work you put in, the readers are stubborn and they want to put their own little thing in there, which is you know, why the book works. You do what you want to do. And hey, once it's out of my hands, it's up to you. It was Princess Katari, and she was occasionally 8-bits. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But she is exceedingly tough. I mean, she's she's Batman. She's <laughs> she's okay. got swords. She at one point she's putting on her sandals and she's uh, putting weapons into the sandals to make sure they're in good good place. And the, her training is is relentless. Uh, I believe her king and her king, her father, uh, father and her king, I suppose, um, 
locks her in her room for three days with fire-legged flies, and the idea is that she can't come out until she's unburned by these nasty little flies that populate the environment. This is mm-hmm. tough. So what do you always torture your characters, or was it specifically important in this in the case of Tiger Queen to be extra rough with the characters? It's so funny because in A Touch of Gold, Princess Cora, who's the main character there, is a much softer character. She's, um, you know, very shy and kind of, you know, quiet. And then in Tiger Queen, you've got, you know, Princess um, Kateri, who's like out there like, let's do this. Let's fight. Like, come at me, bro. Um, And so it is it's so crazy how different they are from each other. But I think I needed her to be tough because she's in such a tough environment. She's in a patriarchal society where she, in order to prove that she's strong enough to rule, has to defeat um, one suitor per month um, during her like 16th, 17th year. I don't remember my own book now. Um, You know, she has to fight these guys and win. And so it's just this whole thing of like, she has to be as tough as possible. And there's kind of this idea that the desert almost chooses its leader. And and if you're strong enough, if you're as strong as the desert, then you will win. Um, And so for a lot of people, it's kind of like, who is strong enough? And have you been tested by the desert? And will it let you win? Um, And so it was just kind of this environment where she needed to be as strong, if not stronger than the creatures that exist in this world to prove that, hey, the desert is going to pick me. Um, at least that's what she hopes. So. Yeah, it makes uh, total sense for world building because it's, you know, it's that soft living like we've got going on where what yeah. did our leader tweet out? Oh my God, let me just get back to PlayStation. No, if the leader here isn't strong enough to keep the water supply going, people are going to die. Um, yeah. So she has to be that tough to, to command that that respect. Mm-hmm. But it's also it's just imminently readable. Um, because the the meaner you are to her, the more engrossed I was. Like, yes, what's happening next? Oh, that's terrible. I would never want that to happen to me. I'm so glad it's happening to you. <laughs> Let me read what happens uh, after that. <laughs> yes, there are a lot of terrible things that happen to her. Just because, again, she lives in a really bad environment um, that's running out of water. And she's got to figure out what to do and who's right and who's wrong and when she discovers some secrets, you know, that the sands have long tried to hide and that others might kill to keep hidden. She's really in big trouble and she might just find herself, you know, facing tigers in the arena instead of her next opponent. And so it's just this this constant struggle of like, am I am I right? Am I wrong? What's happening? You know, all these things she's trying to, like, figure out what's going on in her kingdom. Um, so it's a pretty, pretty exciting read, if I do say so myself. <laughs> <laughs> You're a fan. That makes sense. <laughs> I love it. I just love that I finally got to give the story an ending that it should have had. So, so there. And I always uh, wonder when people ask authors, like, what kind of books do you like? Like, dude, just pick up their book. That's the kind of book they like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, yes. I love, I love YA fantasy books. I don't, no book has ever been written more to my liking than the books I wrote. Yeah. 100%. They're pro me. Hopefully other people like them too, but 100% I'm on board. Um, and I wanted to ask you um, about, oh, with the with the harshness of this novel, at any point did you go too far and have to pull back? Or is it all there on the page? I did pull some back. There's a character named Roderick who is quite mean. But again, he sees himself as having the strength from the desert. 
And so he thinks he can be as mean as he wants because the desert allows it. Um, and he he did a lot of like murdering early on in a couple drafts and that just didn't fly. So I was like, he's too mean, you know? Cause like you can't have someone who just has no redemptive qualities whatsoever. Um, I mean, maybe you can. Fair amount of murdering in the Bible. So much murder. Let's pull that back a little bit. So he's still a very, very mean character, very tough character. Um, But it's, again, it's a little bit about power, too. He wants to be in power just as much as Kateri does um, in a lot of ways. And so it's kind of this fine line of, like, what would you do to get to be in power Um, And what would you not do? And, you know, do you want people to respect you or do you want people to fear you? Um, And he kind of crosses that line quite a bit. But you do a very nice job of we know that in his mind, he believes he's right. We follow his logic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the right thing, theoretically. Yeah. That's what you have to do with any of your characters is um, especially anyone who might be a villain is they have to. And there's a quote from, I think it's Tom Hiddleston, that says, every villain is a hero in his own mind. So they think they're doing what's best for them, what's best for the kingdom, whatever it may be. Um, and that may not be the case from our perspective, but from their perspective, hey, this is what I want. This is what I want to get. Um, so, yeah. So but that was really kind of an interesting way to do it. A couple of questions about some early plot points. I always want to be careful because it's not fair. I've got my copy. Your your poor <laughs> yeah. English teacher doesn't have her copy. So we don't want to spoil uh, anything. But from chapter one, which is not that spoilery, you set uh, Kateri uh, <laughs> up as a, as a fairly hateable character because uh, we open with her actively rooting for a child, an eight-year-old, to be eaten by a tiger, which is such an interesting spot to begin. So well, what is this, Annie Sullivan? And then, my <laughs> God, by chapter two, chapter three, I'm on, I'm on her side. I'm, I'm with you. So how, how did you pull that off? And why was it, why did you start there of all the places you could have started? I think it was necessary to start there to get you into the arena, to show you this is the world we're in, and it is a harsh place. Um, and this little kid, I mean, again, it's not super spoilery because you learn it in the first chapter. He's a desert boy. He's one of the kids who steals water. Um, and that's a big offense in this, in this society. If you're stealing water, it means someone else is going without and they're already having to ration water and things are not going well and people may start dying soon. Um, and so you see Kateri being like, yeah, this this kid needs to die because we need to show everyone that you can't steal water. You have to stick by the rationing system or everything falls apart. Um, And so it's just a matter of showing her logic um, and kind of understanding like what's going on. Um, But don't worry, everyone. The kid doesn't. I don't want to say anything, but, uh, you know, I was I was amazed when he was eaten by three sharks. I'm like, oh, my God, that was the twist I never saw coming. <laughs> sharks came out of nowhere, man. And then that whale shark. What? Who even knew that they ate people? Because they don't. Don't, don't be whale sharks. Great. <laughs> Sand sharks all through the desert. Wouldn't surprise me is there's a million other things that can kill you. This place is more dangerous than Australia. It's nuts. <laughs> it's like trimmers instead of instead of those like worm things. It's like just giant sharks coming out. I imagine if there was like a billboard outside of his archive, is the kingdom. 
Oh, Accra. 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 I imagine if there's yes. a billboard, they're like, welcome to Accra, and then there was a population number, the numbers would just constantly be spinning downward. water, the grieving spiders, the assassin wasp, everything else there, the sand snakes, like, just look out, people. Look out. Watch where you step in Accra, okay? There's a lot that can go wrong. Number one question or number one answer for young uh, Akrons is what do you want to be when you grow up alive? <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Yes, it's so true. It's so true. I think there's a line in there. I think it made it in. It's like the first thing you learn as a child is like the desert will kill you. Um, so, yeah, you have to be uh, be pretty careful there. You don't don't go out past the walls. But even if you stay in the walls, things happen. So, but I'm telling the esteemed audience, it's just nonstop readable. There's no such thing as too much conflict. <laughs> Go on. Keep talking, Miss Sullivan. I was, uh, I devoured this thing. I think it took me a day and a half to get through. Like, all right, well, I had plans to do other stuff, but nope, this is what I'm doing now. I'm reading the rest of Tiger Queen. <laughs> that's good. I'm so glad it hooked you. That's, that's always what I love to hear. So. And I also wanted to ask you, uh, how much time do you spend thinking about your reader's reaction? Because I don't, again, we don't want to spoil, but there is a huge reveal at the end of chapter four that when I got to it, I was like, oh, 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 no, that's terrible. And then I was like, I'm so disgusted. I'm going to just peek at chapter five. And then the first line of chapter five starts off. I put one hand over my mouth to stop myself from vomiting. Like, ah, Annie Sullivan gets it. She saw me coming. She knew that I was going to be revolted. So how much time do you spend thinking of the reader versus thinking of what you want for the story? Um, honestly, this is sound terrible. I honestly try not to think about the reader because um, then I feel like maybe I would change something or not write something that maybe needs to be in there. And you do have to put your character through a little bit of tough stuff. And I love the reveal at the end of chapter four because all of a sudden you're just like, dun, dun, dun. Like, what's going to happen now? Um Nothing good, not for a while. Because <laughs> <laughs> there's just so much tension there. And so I love adding that in. And then, you know, you, yes, maybe you make the reader suffer a little bit. Um, but I think it's worth it in the end. I think it's worth it to go through it to get to the ending. So how, uh, how long did this book take you to read so I could finish it off in a day and a half? <laughs> um, I think it took me... It was either it was somewhere between like three to six months, um, but not not super long. And that's just to like write a little bit of revision um, now, because now I'm at the point where I can write a book in about three months if I'm really really trying. Um, if I'm writing every day, which is something I did learn at Butler from Dan Barden. Um, he was like, you have to write every day, and I do try to write five days a week, maybe not the weekends, but um, but yeah. So now I can write pretty quickly if I if I have a good plot in mind. We're definitely, I wanted to ask you more about your writing habits and what that three months looks like. But now we have to, I forgot to ask you about Dan Barton. So you, you, you did go through the Dan Barton boot camp. <laughs> I did. I did. He definitely taught me that, you know, you need to be writing as much as possible. I mean, his thing was timed writing. You write for like, I don't know, like 40 something minutes a day. But that didn't work for me. I just would just stare at the clock and be like, well, now I only have 41 minutes left. Like, um. <laughs> But it did work for me to count up. And so I do word count. And so I would try to hit minimum 500 words a day. And sometimes that's super easy and I'll blow past it and write 3,000. Um, but sometimes it's, you know, a super busy day and I've got a lot going on and I don't get anything. You know, I get 
barely those 500 written. Um, but having that goal makes it more like a job, makes it um, something that I have to do, that I have to get done, that I won't feel accomplished during the day unless I do it. So. Three months and every day you're doing something, at least 500 words. Do you try to write at the same time a day or does life just not allow for a luxury like that? It just depends. Like, you know, if I have a lunch break, maybe I'll take that. Um, if I wake up early, I'll try to do it then. Mostly I write after work. Um, and that's when I do my best editing as well. It's kind of before dinner or after dinner, somewhere in there. Um, so it's kind of like go to work, come home, write, eat dinner, write some more, go to bed do it all over again the next day. Um, so yeah, it's kind of a, it's a long schedule, but if you want it to be a job, then I feel like you really do have to treat it like a job. You have to schedule time. You have to show up day in and day out, even when you don't want to. Do you have, uh, I'm fascinated by little writer rituals um, <laughs> uh, that go into starting a day. Like I don't sit down uh, until I check the internet for at least 20 minutes. Uh, and then I walk around the house a little bit. I've usually got my cup of coffee with me. Uh, and then depending on what I'm working on, I usually pick out one or two songs. If that's the theme song, that's my Pavlov's bell, that when I hear that theme song, that puts me in the mood of the story. Uh, so like, for example, when, when I was writing my zombie stories, it was always Johnny Cash, I see a darkness, because by God, if it's the zombie apocalypse, you're gonna want some Johnny Cash. And then I'd hear, I hear that and I'm like, okay, I'm in the frame of mind. So do you have little rituals that get you into the story? I mean, I do listen to music when I write, and I'll usually put a song on repeat. It may not be the same song every single day, but usually I'll listen to the same song a couple days in a row. So it is kind of, yeah, like that Pavlov's Bell of like, oh, I should be writing right now. Um, so that definitely helps. And I either write in my bed or on my couch, um, just somewhere comfy. Um, so yeah, it's just kind of more of like sitting down and doing it. Um, I don't really eat snacks while I write. Some people are always like, what do you eat while you write? And I'm like, nothing, because I would spill it all over my computer and no one needs that. Or I would get crumbs all over my bed or my couch. So don't want that. Um, but I do like for Tiger Queen, I listened to the Katy Perry song Roar on repeat <laughs> for a good long while. Because um, it does. It does. Yeah, it was. It worked so well. Um, and it was all about her, like, facing down these tigers. Because um, the music video was in the background. And so I would just, like, occasionally catch a glimpse of it. And I'm like, all right. And then I would, like, study the tigers in the video and, like, their movements and all that good stuff. So, um, so yeah, I definitely think music is my biggest kind of, like, writing motivator. Um, I'm Okay, I'll tell, just tell you this short, funny story. So, um I love this the TV show Say Yes to the Dress, where women go and buy wedding dresses. And in a couple of the seasons, they have this new song at the very end of of this of the show. Um, and I started I really liked the song, so I looked it up and I started using it and for a shirt for a certain short for well for a certain story I was writing um, as kind of like that. Instead of Roar, I was listening to this other song from the show. And then every time I would watch that show and that song comes on, it is literally like Pavlov's Bell. I hear that and I'm like, oh, I should be writing that story right now. Like, it just happens. So I think if you can kind of get in that mindset, like, it works. Like, now every time I hear that song, I'm like, oh, I should go work on that story. So so maybe pick, maybe pick Elmo or something. Like, if you're, if you're a stay-at-home dad, every time you hear Elmo, you're like, oh, I need to go write right now. Like, make it work. Oh, make it work. Disaster. Uh, <laughs> happen is the moment I went to sit down to write then there would be uh, Mr. Five-year-old himself hey I need this I need this daddy 
I you thought I was watching Elmo, but I need the following five things. Like, yes, son. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, I had to stop watching The Leftovers because it was a show that hooked me for the music. Uh, oh. And I loved the soundtrack. And I was actually annoyed that it, the soundtrack was so beautiful it wasn't being used for a better show. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, that became my my Pavlovian bell for the Book of David, uh, and then I never watched beyond the the first uh, season of, of Leftovers because I was like, "Hey, the show is doing its thing. I'm gonna have a much better story, but I'm gonna use that music." <laughs> so when the music would come on the show, I'd be like, "Nope, that just makes me think I should be writing. I'm not being entertained anymore." <laughs> and I wanted to ask. Uh, well, maybe I just wanted to blow up Dan Barton because I. I and never had an opportunity to, to talk about him uh, on the show. And I quote him every class I teach. I, I don't know if he ever gave you his metaphor for when he worked construction, that if he'd gotten to the construction site and he'd looked at it for a minute and he'd had a cup of coffee and then he looked at the building he was supposed to be working on and then he went and he got a donut and he sat back and then he thought, I can't do it. I just can't do it today. And then walked off the lot. That was not a successful job he was going to keep. But I, that metaphor has been locked in my head forever that no, Writing is a job when you come to it. Get to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's it. Dan Barden, author of John Wayne and Novel. We love you. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Would not have gotten to that 500 words, you know, a day kind of thing if it weren't if it weren't for him and his his idea that you really do need to write every day. So thank you, Dan. It's hardcore. In fact, at one time he cornered me after a class uh, in the parking lot and he said, "You know what your problem is, Kent?" I'm like, "No." Nah. Lots of things, probably. It's like, well, this this particular problem today uh, is that you're just not drinking the Kool-Aid. I was like, what? It's like, yeah, everyone's drinking the Kool-Aid. You need to drink the Kool-Aid. I was like, man, you know that metaphor for Jim Jones ends badly, right? This is not making me want to, to fall in line. And he's like, well, I mean it in a positive way. I'm all right. Thank you, Mr. Martin. I will take that into consideration. <laughs> but the construction thing, dead on. <laughs> Let's, um, I wanted to ask you also uh, about your day job because unlike a lot of writers uh, you're not doing something completely unrelated because you're what with John Wiley and Sons and you are a copy specialist right now yeah, it's basically like a copywriter so all those fun emails that you get that are like hey, did you remember to use your 20% off coupon? You should use it now. Like I get to write those, I get to proofread those. Um, I do a lot of uh, like blog post articles. Um, uh, just, it really just depends. Sometimes I'll take like, cause I work in content marketing, which means I might take content we already have, like um, a chapter from a book that we have and uh, turn it into a blog post or short little like social media bits, something like that to say like, hey, if you liked this, you should read the rest of the book. Um, and most people probably don't even realize that they've heard of Wiley Publishing, but they, they probably have, they've probably heard of our dummies books. So like computers for dummies, raising dogs for dummies, all that good stuff, writing fiction for dummies, um, all those good kind of books. So um, it's kind of fun. I really like what I do. I love my team, they're great. Um, but yeah, it's nice to be in the industry. And so, you know, we'd mentioned publicity earlier. I actually used to work in publicity for Wiley before I moved back, um, to content marketing. So what, number one, how do you work in publishing, you know, all day and then come home and get fired up, uh, anew to do more publishing? Uh, I think, think that kind of saves it is that I'm not, I'm doing very like different work in a way, you know, um, 
it's not as creative. It's it's a little bit more serious, you know, because like the emails that I'm writing might be directed towards teachers or um, administrators or business people. Um, whereas I come home and the writing I do is directed towards, you know, young adults and people who like fantasy. Um, so it's very different writing. So it's kind of nice that there is that little bit of, of separation in there that I like. Um, but yeah, it's definitely been interesting being in the business. It's like, you know, a little bit but not everything and it's, it's kind of crazy that way i don't know i think that i mean you can make a, a writing job uh, or a writing career with with any job i'm, I'm firmly oh, convinced yeah. of that and you don't want everybody working the same job because then you get the same types of books you want as many different perspectives as possible but at the same time uh having you know spent eight to twelve hours a day waiting tables at one point early on uh, and then coming home to my writing and just being exhausted it would have been nice if that eight to 12 hours that I spent, uh, can I get you more coffee, sir, had been a little bit more focused on publishing and, and getting information. So what does that bring to your writing career, um, working uh, with Wiley all day? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think it brings great opportunities because you get to work with other authors. Um, you get to kind of see what they're doing. You get to read um, what other authors are doing a lot of the time. Um, and like I, I will help other authors work on articles, which then helps me think, oh, hey, I should write an article related to X, Y, Z based on my book. Um, and so I do do a lot of articles um, about, you know, writing and publishing and all that kind of stuff. I either share them on my blog or share them on other websites, things like that. Um, and that's really a skill I learned from being in the marketing department at Wiley um, was, OK, you should write these kind of articles, these, you know, these list type things do well, these things don't do well, um, things like that. And so just working there, I think, has been a huge blessing to be part of the industry um, and kind of see what goes on inside a publishing house, which helps me when I'm dealing with my own publisher and kind of saying, oh, OK, well, I need to email this person. Or I wonder if they have a person who's the equivalent of this person in our organization who I can talk to about this problem or this opportunity or something along those kind of lines. Um, so, yeah, I definitely think it's it's been a huge blessing overall. And I love working there and I love working with words and all that good stuff. Oh, we're there. Annie Sullivan, teacher of book publicity, the class at the Indiana Writers Center. Yes. Uh, what, what's, what's the name of your class so people can sign up for the next time it's offered? Uh, I think it was just called like book publicity. That's a terrible name. Um, I'll have to, I can't even remember. I, and it, it might be how to market your book on your own, I think was maybe, maybe the title. Um, because I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is how to get your name out there um, as a new author, either self-published or traditionally published. Because even nowadays, um, you know, traditional publishers expect you to do so much publicity and marketing on your own. And so that's something that I really, really try to, to do as much as I can, um, because I think uh, you can really influence, you know, your sales and everything by by doing publicity yourself. And it's not as hard as you would think it is. It's just time consuming. So again, it's like another job. Obviously the most important thing you can do is come on the Middle Great Ninja podcast and then go on to tremendous success. Most important bit of publicity. But <laughs> exactly. how do I market my own book? What's where, where, where would an author start? 
I would definitely say start on social media. Um, find the the outlet that works for you. So I am on Instagram, which is huge for me. If you're a young adult or middle grade author, I would highly recommend getting on Instagram because that's where a lot of your readers are. It's where a lot of your fans are. And it's where young people are. Um, young people are not on Facebook. Um, it's a little bit of an older social media, um, but I love Facebook too. I'm on Facebook. I have an author page on there. I have a personal page on there. And I do really well on Facebook and Instagram. Um, Twitter is another big one. Um, definitely get on Twitter. That's again, really great for finding the writing community. There are fans on there, but I would say it's almost better for connecting with other authors um, and people like that. Um, Pinterest is okay, but not gonna get a huge amount there. Um, and there are kind of strategies for each different one. Like for me, for Instagram, I do a ton of giveaways. That's how I gain a lot of followers. Um, but I also just do a lot of just pretty book pictures. It's called Bookstagram is one of the hashtags. So definitely look into using that hashtag, search it, see what other people are doing on that hashtag um, and do pretty pictures of your own book, but not just your own book. I mean, the biggest part of publicity is not just shouting like, read my book, read my book, read my book, because people are gonna get bored of that. I think they, um, they say it's kind of like the 70-30 rule where 70% of the time you're sharing other content, whether that's industry news or funny memes or whatever it is. Um, and 30% of the time you're sharing your own content. So you're sharing like, hey, pre-order my book. Hey, look at this new book I have coming out. Hey, I'm doing a cover reveal, like things like that. Um, so they say that you kind of like should do that kind of you know, weighing of, of how much you should do for each one. Um, but granted, you also have to keep in mind that it often takes people, I think they say seven to eight times to see your book cover before they will stop and really take notice and be like, okay, wow, hey, I've actually been seeing this a lot. Um, and seeing something seven times is hard um, unless you're really getting people to share it. So like I have a street team who helps share things. I did a huge pre-order campaign and asked everyone um, to share pictures of the prizes they got. I am giving away like an enamel pin and a signed book plate and a creature guide. So you can learn all about like the assassin wasps and the grieving spiders and the scorpions and the snakes and all that good stuff. Um, so I'm doing that as well. So like there's this kind of that aspect of it too. So a so pre-order campaign can be another great way to get publicity because um yeah it can be expensive because i'm financing mine myself um but it's a great way to get your name out there to get people to share pictures of that signed book plate and the book cover with their new enamel pen that they just got um i'm kind of like babbling this one because there's so many things you can do for publicity um i mean you can do giveaways on facebook you can do giveaways on twitter and instagram um you can do kind of a book swap with other people where you do like a group giveaway i just did this and had really good success with it where um six authors got together and we all um, posted on the same day of a giveaway. And we said, you have to follow each of these other, you know, five, six authors, however many there were, um, and comment and tag one person to be entered um, and make sure you follow all of us. So as soon as people would follow all of us, you know, I probably got two, 300 followers easily in a couple of days, um, just from that one giveaway of teaming up with a couple of our authors and giving away six books total. Um, so for me, giveaways are huge. Like that's one of my favorite things to do to really get out there. Um, you can have something where like maybe people on Twitter have to retweet something to be entered to win. So then you're getting tons and tons of retweets. Um, but you also oh, like there's so many things to think about with publicity, because, again, if you're on Instagram, uh, I typically wait to post until about 
8 or 9 p.m. because that's when I get the most traffic. Um, because if you think about it, if my audience is young adults, a lot of them are in school until what, three, four, maybe they've got homework and things like that. They got to have dinner. Um, so I try to like really think about when I'm posting. Whereas on Twitter, it tends, and Facebook, it tends to be a little bit of an older crowd who might be taking a break at work or who might be retired. Um, so maybe 9 a.m. is a good time to post or, you know, 5 p.m. Um, but think about where you're located in the country as well. Um, you know, what time zone you're in because. Uh, maybe noon is a good time to post because if you're in the Eastern time zone, because you're getting all of the people who live on like the East Coast at noon on their lunch break. And then you're getting all the other people maybe in California at 9 a.m. who are on their way to work commuting or something like that. Um, so really think about, you know, timing and which outlet works for you. Are you a Facebook person? Um, are you a blogger? Maybe a blog is the way to go, but definitely just make sure that you're finding one that you can be consistent at. Um, so are you updating your Facebook, you know, if you have an author page every single day? Are you, you know, posting an Instagram picture every day? With what are you doing to get yourself out there? Sorry, that was a really long-winded answer. There's so much you oh. can do for public. That's why I teach an entire class on it. Now I'll just <sighs> sit back and let you take over for the rest of the podcast. This is great information. <laughs> so come, come. I'll try to offer my class again. You can all come and learn about, you know, like there's so many different things. That, like there's this... Um, this website called HARO, H-A-R-O, it stands for Help a Reporter Out. And it's um, something it's free to sign up for with your email. You'll get, I think it's three emails a day. Um, make sure they don't go to your junk folder. And it's literally just people, reporters, and people who are looking for sources. It can be someone who's looking for a doctor who's a specialist in one, like, rare genome thing. Or it can be someone who's looking for, you know, people who work out every day. Like, what do you, what's your best workout strategy? Like, it, it runs the gamut of just, like, everything. And you really do have to come through it. It can take time, but every once in a while, there'll be, like, a book-related thing or, like, one time it was like a travel thing and I was like, I'm a travel person, like I'll answer that one. And so like that can be a way to get your name out there and kind of get some bylines and things like that. So um, definitely check that out. Again, it's it's free to sign up for Help a Reporter Out. So you can um, reach out and say, I work out in the following ways. By the way, I'm Andy Sullivan, author of Tiger Queen. Here's a link to everything. Yes, yes, exactly. I am a runner. I, I do some running. So I'll have to like be like, oh yeah, I run. Um, you can't if you're not if you're just listening right now. I'm mimicking running, which is really <laughs> great, really cool. Um, but yeah, I run and I think of ideas and all that good stuff. So, running helps helps with ideas. And with a giveaway, this is a question I always wonder because I'm I'm forever have have my half cynical hat on. Uh, <laughs> if you get uh, if you've got a prize that's available and you suddenly gain 300 followers. Are those going to be quality followers that are then continue to be interested as you're promoting new books and things, or do they kind of fall off after the prize is over? You know, I've actually had really good success with them being quality followers. And I think that's because when you're giving away books and things like that, um, the, I often ask people to tag up to three people, depending on how big the prize is. So it might be one person, two people, three people. Um, and the people they tend to tag tend to be interested in book things. Otherwise, they wouldn't tag them. Um, and so then those people might often come and say, like, oh, this looks really cool. I want that. And then they'll follow um, as well. And so that's how you're gaining your new followers. I think that is a pretty good strategy because those people tend to be related to books. Um, but... Yeah, you never want to buy followers because 
if you're just inflating your numbers, that's it's not going to help you at all. You're really not getting quality followers and maybe you'll get a whole bunch of fake likes, but it, it's not helping you and you've wasted your money. So really think about that. And I have been running a lot of ads as well um, for Tiger Queen um, on Instagram and Facebook. And I've seen some good success from that from that, too. And again, like I said, it's all about seeing that book seven to eight times before you really take notice of it. Um, so that's kind of like you're paying a little bit of money to kind of play the odds and say, hey, I hope this person sees this book again and again and will eventually think, okay, everyone's talking about this book. I, I need to know what's up with it. And they'll hopefully go and, and check it out on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or their local independent bookstore or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, kind of, kind of how I do it. What's the Facebook and Instagram you said are the, the two spots where you're running ads? Are, are there additional places or that, is that your main concentration? Those are my main concentrated ones, um, just because I feel like YA is a very interesting space where you kind of have a good mix of, of teen readers and adult readers. And a lot of the adult readers are on um, Facebook and a lot of the teen readers are on Instagram. So that's why I kind of try to cover both. Um, but with Twitter, I, I had run ads in the past and I think you can have success there as well. Um, I just haven't been focusing on Twitter as much because I've been focusing so much more on Instagram and putting a lot more time into really upping my followers there. Um, so, so yeah, for me, Instagram is the main one. But again, if you're writing adult, maybe think more about targeting Twitter, maybe even LinkedIn, depending on, you know, what your book is about. I think it, it's just going to depend who your audience is and, and how you think it's best to reach them when you want to reach them and where you want to reach them. So those are the two big things to really think about is when and where are the best times um, and ways. Like, where is your audience? So definitely think about that. And then what does success what does a successful ad look like? I'm assuming it's not just a cover of your book. I'm not no. sure it's incorporated, but what kind of copy are you uh, including? What's what's useful? Well, I definitely think for me, because I was running a huge pre-order campaign, um, I did a lot with the pre-order pictures of like, here's a picture of the enamel pin, here's a picture of the signed book plate, um, kind of a, a mix. Um, and there's a free tool you can use called Canva, C-A-N-V-A. You can go to canva.com and just start using it for free. It's a great way to kind of create your own um kind of images and pictures and, and kind of, it's not quite Photoshop. It's a little bit different. It's more like creating, you know, if you wanted to put like a picture of like, I have a poster, I'm giving away a digital poster as well. So I can have a picture of that digital poster, a picture of the, um, of the enamel pen and all that stuff kind of nicely laid out um, um, with saying like pre-order prizes. So I can do that in Canva um, and send that out. And that's kind of what I've been doing a lot for the ads is kind of, hey, look at this. So that you see what you're getting. Um, but you could do, you know, um, I also boosted, I had a little book trailer made, um, my publisher made a book trailer, which is kind of like a short little, like 20 second video of like sand in her veins, blood on her sword, a kingdom in the balance, which is our tagline, um, with some cool images in between. So, um, so that's definitely something, um, that you can do as well is make a short little video to share. My videos do really, really well online. Um, and the one thing that I like about sharing videos is that you can track how many views you get. So with a normal like Instagram post or Facebook post, you don't get to see how many people have seen it. You just get to see how many people have liked it. 
but with a video, you can see how many views it's gotten, which is really, really helpful, I think, in seeing like who you're reaching and how many people you're reaching. Um, but just remember, if you're going to upload a video to Instagram, it has to be under one minute long or it won't um, it won't upload. You can only go up to a minute. You can go live and, and go longer than that. But if you're going to upload a video, it has to be under a minute. Um, but yeah, that's one of the best ways. And even you can take, um, I'm trying to think, um, I have an app on my phone called Werble. I think it's W-E-R-B-L-E. Um, I think that's what it's called. And it's an app that I use to create pictures. Or basically, I turn pictures into like GIFs or videos or GIFs, whatever you want to call them. Um, I'm going to call them GIFs because that's what I call them. Okay, people. Um, but um, you can basically take a picture and turn it into a video. So like one thing I did is I might take a copy of the of the book cover um, with some text or like a quote from the book with it. And I'll animate the eyes a little bit so they kind of like glow because um, uh, I don't know if people are anyone who's actually watching can kind of see that there are these nice green eyes on the cover of Tiger Queen that um, I can kind of take that Wurble app and make those make those glow. And so even though it looks like a picture, um, it actually turns it into a video. So then I can again see how many people are seeing that. And so that's how I really like to do that with my pictures is turn them into something just a little bit more, a little extra special. And then you get that that added bonus of having that extra extra metric that you can see. So I really like that as well. For those of you who are just listening to the podcast instead of uh, watching us, uh, go to middlegradeninja.com where I'll have the cover for Tiger Queen posted. Then refresh that page seven times <laughs> it'll get you in the mood to head to Amazon. It'll be a big win. It's <laughs> yes, yes, a great plan. Everyone go and do that, please. <laughs> uh, and I want to ask you, with um, with being traditionally published, I'm assuming that you get your feedback, what, twice a year when you get your royalty statement? This is how many books sold. You don't have your KDP where you can go in and get your live updates for how many books are actively moving. So how are you able, beyond the video watches, how are you able to to evaluate the effectiveness of your marketing campaigns so yeah i mean the good thing is that for like instagram and facebook they do give you a lot of metrics so they will show you here's how many people saw your ad here's how many people clicked on it um here's how many people like actively engaged or commented so that's kind of nice um is that you do get those metrics. But other than that, like, I mean, for at least the pre-order ones, I could say, oh, okay, I just launched this ad and I saw 10 new pre-orders come in or something along those lines. Um, but it definitely does depend. Um, sometimes I think the ads are successful, sometimes they're not. And again, um, maybe that's the ad, maybe it's, uh, I picked the wrong audience. But the thing I do like about um, Facebook and Instagram is you can create your own audience if you want, which I highly recommend that you do. And so I go through and I pick, um, you can pick like interests, you can pick things that they might like or that they follow. Um, but for me, I create a whole group of, of things like, I want someone who reads the Harry Potter books. I want someone who watches Disney movies. I want someone who, you know, likes reading or loves books. Like you can choose those things from the drop down. Um, so I highly recommend you think very, very hard about what your typical reader might enjoy and focusing on that. Like maybe they do epic reads, which is a, a kind of a book group, um, or maybe they just love tigers. And so I can focus people who follow a group about tigers or something like that. Um, so yeah, that's kind of the good thing is you really can drive down into a, a market that you think is most likely to buy your books. And I'm sure all of this takes uh, an incredible amount of time. 
Uh, and this is after you've been working all day doing something somewhat similar um, to, to for the day job. And then you come home and you, you get your writing, you get your minimum of 500 words. So how much time are you setting aside for your social media stuff? And when are you doing it? Um, I, it does take quite a bit of time. And so for like Instagram, which is again, where I'm focusing a lot of my content right now is kind of on Sunday afternoons, I will go and shoot a whole bunch of Instagram pictures. I have, um, it's a light box studio that I got off of Amazon. It's like two feet by two feet. Um, it's kind of like a big white box that has really great lighting in it. And so I've been using that a lot to take really cool, again, bookstagram pictures. Um, so I might spend, you know, two, three hours on a Sunday afternoon taking, seven photos and then i've got those for the week and i can just upload them each night between 8 and 9 p.m when i'm getting good traffic um, when people are kind of winding down for the day um so that kind of does take time the good thing about you know the whole ads that i mentioned of like you know targeting you know harry potter readers or whatever is that um what if you save that you can save that audience and name it and so i name it my ya audience um, and then you can just keep using it. So like you don't have to continually set it up each time, but you can keep editing it and maybe say, oh, okay, well for this ad, I don't want, you know, Harry Potter. I want Hunger Games instead, um, which I mean, you could have both. I mean, you can make a really big list. I have like 20 to 40 things on there of like interests. Um, but yeah, so it definitely does. It does take time. Um, it takes money, which is often hard too, as a, you know, as a starving artist, you gotta be like, all right, I'm gonna pay you know, $50 to boost this for three days. Um, because that's what they call it on like Facebook and Instagram. Do you want to boost this post and get more followers and more engagement? Um, and I'm always like, yeah, $50. And then I'm like, oh, wait, I just spent like $200 in a month, you know, like, because you're all of a sudden like, wasn't that bad. Um, but then you're like, oh, dear, 200. So, so it can get expensive. So just make sure you kind of have a budget in mind as well. Because um, otherwise, it gets easy because they like to show you like they have this little like, line of like if you do ten dollars a day you get three thousand five hundred people but if you do fifteen dollars a day you get six thousand seven hundred people that might see it and so it's like really easy to keep like creeping upwards to be like oh yeah i want a hundred thousand people to see it for a hundred dollars like or whatever it is so just be careful there as well that you're not you know wasting your money and kind of start small and run a few ads see if you get any sort of engagement whatsoever and, and kind of go from there theoretically you know six months later or whenever you're all that investment's coming back right and i hope so before. i hope that's that's the goal and i mean i'll admit i spend a little bit more probably than most people just because i i want this again i want this to be a career and so it's more like investing in the early stages now so people hear about a touch of gold and tiger queen and might say oh that sounds like a cool book i saw an ad for that i'm going to check that out and then hopefully yeah it'll pay off later um, what I don't have to do is much marketing because people will like know who I am and I'll be like, yes, you know me now. I don't have to spend, you know, $200 a month on advertising or something like that. Well, now that you've been on the middle grade Ninja podcast, my God, who won't know you? You'll never right. be able to walk down the street again without somebody accosting you. <laughs> so you're Annie Sullivan, author of Tiger Queen. I'm uh, I refreshed middlegradeninja.com seven times and then I bought your book. So I absolutely know who you are. I like this plan. I'm fine with this plan. This is a good plan. Well, don't they say that it's, uh, I think that the average is that it takes an author five books or five years uh, to really develop a, a career to where they could be making enough uh, in royalties, hopefully, to to make a significant difference? 
Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I actually, um, my parents ran into John Green, uh, who I've met a couple times, um, you know, the author of A Fault in Our Stars, and they were telling him, um, you know, oh, our daughter has been going to Book Expo and Book Con and ALA, which are all these kind of industry book events. Um, and he's like, oh, yeah, I did that circuit for like 13 years. And my parents were like, 13 years? That's like so long. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm only like in year two. I've only got, you know, like 11 more years to go to like make it to John Green level. So that's my joke is I'm always like, all right, just 11 years, 11 years to go. That's, uh, I mean, pretty much guaranteed, though. Everybody who puts in that time, it's, it's John Green's success. Here it comes. <laughs> yep, guaranteed. You're, you're the next John Green. You're the next John Green. Everyone wants to be the next John Green. I'm forever just missing John Green because he does occasional local events here. And I'm like, I should go to that, but I can't because I have to do this other thing over here. Or I'll get to an event and they'll say, yeah, no, John Green was here. I'm like, really? Oh, he left. I'm like, oh. <laughs> One day. For like two years, he and I would like just miss each other. We would each go to like a different event. Like I'll be like, oh, I'm going to go to this one. And he would go to that one. It was just, and then I finally got to meet him a couple of times. And so I'm like, all right. Wait, wait, he's a nice fellow and all that. Oh, yes. Or charming in real life. (laughs) Yes. Yes. Um, And so actually, uh, I can tell you this this short story again, because it goes back to publicity. Um, If the chance on the off chance you get to meet an author. So I was actually... um, set up to have drinks with John Green. And I thought long and hard about what could I do to like, you know, maybe get him to help me a little bit without overstepping. Because again, he's John Green. He's hugely famous. He's super busy. He's very kind to meet with me. And so all I did was I bought copies of every single book that he had like written, um, except for maybe one that he wrote with someone else. And so I brought them to this meeting. I had him sign him. And then I took a picture of them. And all I did was say, hey, John, because um, clearly we're on a first name basis now. Um, I was like, hey, John, um, I'm going to do a giveaway of these books that you just signed. Would you just retweet it for me on Twitter? That's all I'm asking. And so I wasn't asking him to read my book. I wasn't asking him to blurb my book. I wasn't asking him to do anything that was against his brand. All I wanted him to do was to say, hey, I'm doing a giveaway on Twitter. Um, Will you just retweet it? And so all people had to do to enter was, you know, follow me and retweet the tweet. And I got like a thousand followers in like two days just from him retweeting that tweet of my books, of, of his books just being given away. Um, so really, if you get that opportunity, think very, you know, highly, very kindly, like, what can you do to, you know, make the most of that opportunity while still, um, so, so I was supporting him, I bought all his books, um, but just asking one small thing, can you just retweet one thing for me? So. Look at you, Hustler. That's great. <laughs> I know, I know. But hey, he was kind enough to do He was so, so, so kind to me. Um, so yes, definitely really, really appreciate everything John Green has done for me. I, I always send him a copy of my books because I'm just like, you are so nice to me. I don't think he reads them, which is totally fine because again, he's John Green and he's so busy. But I'm just like, I'm just going to keep sending you books because you were so kind to me. So I like sign a book and I'm like, here you go. Thank you. Oh, I'm sure the butler brings it in and shall I add this to the pile, sir? Yes. <laughs> you mean the butler that I'm going to have in 11 years from now? <laughs> yes. <laughs> the very one. <laughs> You'll be hosting a podcast with uh, Hank Green. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> yes. Yes. It could be, well, they're like the vlog brothers. I don't know what we would be. We would be like the shark friends. We'll be the shark friends. I think <laughs> That's <watch>. amazing. <laughs> It always goes back to sharks. 
<laughs> you wouldn't want to miss that. Oh my. So what haven't we covered publicity wise? I feel like we we everybody listening just got a a master class in publicity. They're 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 caught up. If you can't do it now, you just don't want it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just keep going, guys. You can do it. I promise you can. But sure, you're 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 on it. You're not doing anything halfway. You're every Sunday. You're you're preparing your Instagram. You're writing every day. You're uh, living, breathing. When do you read? What are your reading habits? <laughs> They're practically non-existent, which is the hardest part. I mean, I want to read so badly, um, but again, it's just finding the time because um, it's almost like I'm so exhausted from working all day and then writing, you know, late into the night that it's kind of like I don't want to pick up a book at like 11 p.m. and start reading. I just want to go to sleep. Um, um, but I mean, I do, if it's like an author that I love, like I love like Stephanie Garber, um, Mary Pearson, Marissa Meyer, Meg Cabot, like those are some of my favorites. Um, so yeah, if like, if one of them has a book coming out, I'm like, I am in, like I will make time. But I feel like the most of the stuff I get to read is stuff that people ask me to blurb. Um, so when you see those little like author, like saying nice things about people on a book on like the back of a book or inside of a book like this was a non-stop like you know heart-pounding action book I loved it that's a terrible blurb I'm sorry I would never say that for anyone but like you know you get the idea um like that's what people people have to ask other authors to do that for them so I've been getting asked a couple times to blurb things so I feel like I get to read like books that haven't come out yet which is fun but then I can't be like oh everyone needs to go read this right now because it doesn't come out for like six months so that's kind of sad, but uh, hang but yeah, on to I, excitement six months later. Remember how you felt, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, yeah, but then I have to remember that it like came out. Like, it already feels like I mean, Tiger Queen comes out on September 10th, um, but I already feel like it's already pretty much out in the world because I've had copies for a while, and people and Barnes and Noble's been shipping for a little bit here, so uh, some people have copies, so it's kind of like, oh, it's, it's already out there, it feels like it's out there, so oh. So as we're talking to you right ahead of a launch, um, other than getting the the party ready uh, that everyone's coming to now, because uh, I want to have the tiger cake, it's going to be great. Um, when did you start preparing for the launch? Uh, and at what point will you back off on marketing for Tiger Queen and switch over to Curse of Gold? I mean, I think I've been preparing for this launch for months now. I mean, even the launch party itself, it feels like I'm planning a wedding because um, so my launch for a touch of gold had about 400 people there. Um, it was pretty big. Um, and so I have to like get people to like cut the cake and greet people and pass out like tickets for the drawing for the, all the raffle prizes that we've gotten. And I have to people help set up, you know, all these different tables and things, the event. Um, so for that part of it, I've been preparing for just like months and months. Um, trying to think about what to do, how to honor my, my teacher, all that good stuff. Um, but even, yeah, even just launching the book itself, like I have to plan out, like, again, what videos am I going to release, you know, leading up to things. And if you go to my Instagram, you will see um, a whole bunch of videos that I've done, either book trailers or unboxing videos where you get to open up your box of your author copies when they arrive and share those with the world, which always goes over really well. Um, you know, different things like that, that I've kind of just been doing, thinking up, you know, the publicity plan and the marketing plan and, and all that kind of stuff. Although I do have to say on the actual day that my book comes out on September 10th, you're all going to laugh at me. I'm actually going to a Backstreet Boys concert that night. I was like, <laughs> all right, 
They're going to be in Indianapolis, you guys. They have to go, okay? Well, I'm I mean, if nice you person. want it that way, I suppose that's fine. Uh, <laughs> I do want it that way. Fair enough. <laughs> well, my God, you, you've earned a rest. It sounds like uh, your schedule is exhausting me just hearing about it. I'm starting oh. to think, do I want to work any Sullivan's grueling schedule or just spend like 30 minutes in the shark cage? Well. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Send me back to the shark cage at this point. I am I am ready for a break. <laughs> and then, um, so then how, how long after, because you, you take your night, you go, you see the Backstreet Boys, you celebrate, hooray for me, I did a thing. <laughs> this is a good day. Uh, how long after the launch do you continue marketing, aside from forever mentioning it everywhere you go? Yeah, I mean, I kind of like you did ask me, yeah, when do I kind of cut off marketing? And I've, I've kind of cut it off a little bit right now, since we're only like four days out. It's kind of like, um, I'm kind of letting it happen naturally, since there are some copies that are leaking out there, and it's getting pretty good early, earlier reviews. Um, so I'm just kind of letting that speak for itself and kind of laying off of it for a little while. I'll still like post pictures and things on Instagram and stuff like that. Just every once in a while as a reminder of like, oh, like three days to go, you know, like whatever it might be. Um, something along those lines. Um, I like to, one thing I like to do is if I remember to do it, I did it with a touch of gold is I will take the books and build them into the number three and like do a countdown of like three two one like on how many days are left to go until it releases um so i like that but uh yeah so and the hard thing is monday so like the book comes out september 10th september 9th i get edits back for um a curse of gold which again we said comes out in 2020 so it's kind of like i don't have a ton of time to celebrate because i will be editing my next book so it's kind of like all right, you jump from one to the next to the next, and you go to the Backstreet Boys concert in between. Hooray! <laughs> Hooray! And then start thinking about book number four. <laughs> I know. Just trying to figure that one out right now. So we'll see. See what happens there. So this, again, sounds exhausting just hearing about it. And obviously, you're the kind of motivated self-starter that anything you put your mind to, you're going to go all in and be about it so why young adult novels what keeps you writing what is it that that drives you and motivates you at this point i mean i just i love young adult it's just such a special time in someone's life like you're really coming into your own and you're really forming who you're going to be as an adult um, and i love that young adult books can still tackle adult issues but you can do it with, you know, like goblins and dragons and castles included, you know, and that's why I love the fantasy aspect of it. Um, you know, in uh, Tiger Queen, she does. She deals with the difficult family relationships, um, with secrets, um, with losing her mom and trying to keep a promise to her mom um, and trying to, like, be this strong character while realizing, hey, maybe maybe it's OK to ask for help, you know, to be that kind of person. And in A Touch of Gold, um, Princess Cora basically has anxiety, you know, almost like PTSD after being turned to gold. She has a fear of gold. Um, and so I it's kind of, you know, yeah, yeah, exactly. And so it's kind of like dealing with this anxiety um, in a fantasy world. And it's never called anxiety. It's never given a name because it is fantasy and they don't have, you know, anxiety diagnosis in, in fantasy land. Um, but, you know, it, it does deal with that in a little bit of a way to say like, hey, okay, you can have these issues in YA um, 
that really affects your life and you can learn how to deal with them um, and maybe fight your own demons that you have in your own life. Um, so that's why I really love, I love writing YA and because it's just, it's just such a fun genre of, of really coming of age and finding out who you are. Was there a uh, book that did that for you that you clearly remember that, that, that finally turned your head and said, oh, if that has that kind of power, I want to do that? I mean, I always loved Madeline Lingle growing up, you know, A Wrinkle in Time. That was just such a such a fun book for me. I loved reading all of her stuff. Anything Meg Cabot. Meg Cabot's voice is just amazing. Um, she's very stream of conscious type of writing of just the characters leaps off the page. And I love that. Um, and I'm just kind of like, oh, yeah, I want to I want to do that, too. I want to write stories that excite people and help them deal with things, but are still fun adventures. Annie, we are coming toward the end of our time. It always flies by so fast. I know. I can't believe it. I've got uh, all the questions that I could have and should have asked uh, that I just didn't think to ask because we spent so much time talking shark movies. But uh, I regret (laughs) nothing. That was fun. Um, If there was one bit of advice, if you could go back and give to young Annie eight years ago uh, and say, hey, do this thing. This will make a huge difference. What would that bit of advice be? I think it would be believe in yourself and don't give up because there, I won't lie. There were a lot of times I wanted to give up, you know, looking for an agent is not easy. Getting published is not easy. It's, it's depressing. It's a dark time because you're constantly be telling, no, 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 you're not good enough. You know, you get these emails like, thanks for submitting, but no, you know, and you're constantly wondering, am I good enough? Am I going to make this? Is this going to happen? Um, and it, like I said, it can take years. Um, I mean, I know someone who took them 10 books to get an agent. So it, it's definitely something that you really have to work at. So I would just say, don't give up. If you want this, don't stop with one book. Write two, write three, write four, however many it takes to really reach whatever your goal is. Either if that's self-publishing, do that. If it's traditional publishing, then keep going. Find that agent. You know, it takes the right agent at the right time. Um, so really look into, you know, what agent would be good for you. Find kind of like your cousin book, like a book that they represent that's that's similar to what you write. It's not the exact same because then they already have that book, but, you know, something that's really similar. Um, and that's kind of the advice I would give is just like just keep going and don't give up because it really it can happen. I don't think we're going to get a better answer than that. That's beautiful. <laughs> you nailed it. That's great. Andy, remind the esteemed audience where they can find you, stock you, learn more about giveaways and all kinds of great stuff that you're doing online. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at A-N-N-S-U-L-L-I-V-A. It's kind of like Ann Saliva. It's, yeah, left over from a long time ago. So, yes, you can find me um, at that handle. Um, You can find me on Facebook. Just Google or just search, you know, author Annie Sullivan. You can find me on my blog, AnnieSullivanAuthor.com. I love talking with people. I love interacting with people. If you have publicity questions, if you have book questions, if you want a signed book plate, let me know. I'm happy to send you one. Um, Yeah, so just come find me. I, I love talking with people. And as ever, esteemed audience, you can find out more about me and what's going on with the show at middlegradeninja.com. Don't forget to download your free ebook of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees. Uh, those of you young adult fans, you can spend $4.99 and get the ebook of All Together Now. It's going to be fantastic. Um, and make sure you find your way for our next episode with author John Claude Bemis. 
uh, and some other folks. I don't know. Head to middlegradeninja.com. It'll tell you all the people that are coming. They're all going to be great. Uh, and if you would, I'm always asking our guests to sign us off. I'm forever trying to figure out why do we call this show Middle Grade Ninja? And the justification I've come up with is this sign-off phrase. So it's very crucial that you say this in your most ninja-like voice. That sign-off yeah. phrase is hiya and what have you. Will you sign us off? Hiya and what have you. Thank you.